Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. up bbn welcome into another episode of the believe the kentucky podcast alongside the 96 champ the uk legend benny hardy here with tony Delk. td how you doing man i'm doing wonderful how about yourself can't complain can't complain we got another kentucky legend with us happy to announce that we got the voice of the cats football and basketball the voice of the cats himself mr tom leach how are you tom I am doing well, just kind of surviving uh, the strangest year of our lifetimes, I guess. Ain't <laughs> said the truth. We'll definitely get into all that. Now, this doesn't really apply to Tony as much, but let me wish you a happy MLB 2020. I know you're looking forward to MLB starting tonight, Tom, so happy yes. to be. <laughs> yes, uh, Reds fan from way back, mainly just excited about um, another sport starting. I, I joked with my family back in March when all this – kicked in, I would watch Thoroughbred Racing every Saturday because I said it's the only sport I could watch where I didn't already know who won. I'm tired <laughs> of watching replays. So now I've got a little golf and now I've got baseball. Next week, the NBA. So and hopefully college football. Absolutely. So Tom, what, 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 what do you expect out of your Cincinnati Reds this year since you are a fan of them? You know, they are actually favored in some places I've heard out in Vegas to win the division. So really? I am... Uh, Optimistic. Um, Jeff Pocoro, my broadcast partner for football, does a lot of work on the Reds pre and post games. And uh, okay. he tells me good things that their pitching staff, especially their starting group, looks really solid. Uh, but the funny thing with this season, with 60 games, I saw this the other day. Um, the Nationals, who actually played tonight, play the first game. Um, last year, after 60 games, they were in last place and they ended up winning the World Series. So with a, a sprint like this, some crazy things could happen, hopefully crazy good for the Reds. I understand. As a Braves fan, I was looking at the standings at that point last year and just snickering and laughing at the Nationals, and then lo and behold, they caught fire. And my chagrin, Tom, we know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it can get a little crazy uh, sometimes in a short sprint like this, so who knows? I'm just I'm glad, you know, it's going to be strange without the fans. Um, I see where Fox is doing like virtual fans on Saturday, so for a game, so we'll see what how that does. But um, you know, it's I was watching a, a little bit of a, the golf tournament last weekend, and uh, I think it was John Rahm who won the tournament, made a long putt, and just for a second I expected to hear the roar, and then I was like, oh yeah, there's nobody there. Yeah, no one's there. Yeah, exactly. Since we're still on the topic of baseball, what do you think about the deal that Mookie Betts signed? Who? Mookie Betts for oh. the. Uh, the Dodgers. You know, 
I have uh, honestly not looked at it that closely. I heard a little bit, it was just a little bit of radio when I went to bed last night. They were talking about it, just that, you know, um, you know, for the Dodgers, it might be that kind of the, the missing piece for them. They've gotten all this talent collected, and yet they haven't won it yet. Um, so they thought that might be, you know, their missing piece um, to get them over the top. But I have, as far as any particulars of the contract, I really haven't looked at it that close. Well, we, we can give you those particulars so you can uh, – so th th this is something where it's during a pandemic time and you think people don't have money. Well, he had they, – they signed him. They gave him a $65 million signing bonus just to let you know how much money they invest into uh, Mookie Betts. I think it was a, what, 12-year, 365 or with his uh, current deal, I think it takes it to 300 and like 90-something million dollars over 12 years. So, I mean, just – a unbelievable deal for a 27-year-old right fielder. But if he is that missing piece, I think in the past it seemed like the Dodgers have always let one of those really good players get away, and they just locked him, they locked him in for 12 years. So, you know, congrats to him. But uh, can you imagine making that deposit today, a $65 million deposit into your account? And it, uh, it, it's it's I would I would love to imagine it, but <laughs> it's and then it, it's all you know what if if you made that deposit you wouldn't be with us today I know that for sure. It, it, or if I, if <laughs> I did, there'd be an ocean in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Mahomes got the big money. The one thing I did when Mahomes signed his um, with the Chiefs, the one thing that. I, I took it, and it would be the same with this one, as maybe, uh, you know, a sign of hope that, you know, the, the, the people that are writing those checks, um, you would think are, are going to be uh, smart enough with their money in most cases to make more than they lose because that's right. how they got to be in the position that they are. So I'm taking it as a, uh, a good sign for uh, getting us back to, to some level of normalcy soon, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> Well, I'll look at it. I'll choose to look at it optimistically that way. I like that. I like that. And, and B, the same question applies to you. If you made a $65 million deposit, just like Mr. Leach there, I know you wouldn't be with us today also. No, they, they'd have to, you know, we hadn't been here long, hadn't been together long, but they'd probably have to find another co-host. <laughs> hey, man, you're going to leave me like that? And, and you going to leave me? Oh, man. You know what? Now, now I see what I'm working with. $65 million and my man would disappear. <laughs> you keep doing the show, you just do it somewhere else. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's <laughs> hey, we might do this stuff anywhere. Yeah, you can do it on an island, man. Be like, hey, man, Tony, I just bought an island, man. Hey, this will be my last show we're doing together. So I want you to see the island that I have purchased, and uh, this is it. You know, guys, speaking of Zoom, and Tony, you speak to this because um, you did a couple of games with us on the network um, last season. Was it last season or your season before? When, uh, I think it was season before. Season before, when Mike uh, Pratt had a couple of health issues or a health issue he was dealing with, just a short-term thing. But um, So you were there doing a couple of games with us. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, I, I'm open, open to – I just want to do games, so I'm open to doing it anyway. But it's going to be – I would think be – Weird if, uh, you know, if you did a game off a TV monitor rather than being at the stadium or the basketball arena. I think uh, the network had was doing a few of those games. Um, I forgot what they were called, but you was actually not in the booth, but you had a room and you were kind of like watching the game. And, uh, yeah, that's right. They, were doing, they, 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 did, they did a few remote games, you know, just to see how it felt. And, you know, as, as an announcer – 
and best of you know, being an analyst guy, you know, you think about when you're in position, you really enjoy watching the game in person. You know, it's, just, it's so much different than just being like, okay, I'm going to be a host, I'm going to be an analyst, but I'm going to be sitting in my, in my house, at my house, you know, somewhere differently than being in the arena. So it would definitely be a different look for most guys. But some, some, uh, some of these analysts have experienced the, uh, the remote games, you know, so they're kind of familiar with it. But it's going to be you know, different this year. You know, it seems like there's going to be a lot of remote games. I'm guessing it's probably going to be a little – I think for, for a play-by-play guy like me, it would be easier because I'm just following the ball anyway. In, in the right. But for the analysts, radio or TV, you like to be able to, to see the bigger picture and right. be able to talk about some of the things going on away from the ball and that may not always be on the TV monitor. Yeah, I think that's going to be different. And not to say it will be difficult, I think, you know – we all have to make an adjustment. I mean, it's going to be new for all of us. But, you know, to get that opportunity to see basketball or football or baseball, you know, I think we all will be excited about it. Now we just make an adjustment to, you know, being there in person to still being a fan, but also trying to analyze the game the best way you can. Even if it's not $65 million, we're all looking to make some of those deposits you were talking about. So I'm open to <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> on that note, we're rolling along on the Believe in Kentucky podcast, y'all. Anywhere you get your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Play. Uh, subscribe and follow. Give us five stars on iTunes and you can get the podcast at your convenience. We got Tom Leach here with us, the voice of the Cats. Up to this year, which will undoubtedly take the cake, Tom, what was the weirdest set of circumstances or unique situations that you've had to do a game? I, I heard you guys talk about the where you could do it at Vanderbilt from the hotel if they allowed that. What's been the weirdest situation to this point? Because this year is about to, you know, take the cake for sure. And I've got a good answer for that one. In 2000, and this would have been in December of 2004, Kentucky, they set up a game, they called it the Basket Bowl. It was Kentucky and Michigan State at Ford Field in Detroit. And it was essentially a, a trial run changing the changing the final four they wanted in up until that point antonio will remember this like uh you guys well not not the meadowlands that was a regular basketball arena but uh down at you know the superdome in, in new orleans they would put the court close to one section of, of where the hard seats were rather than out in the middle of say where the coin toss would come for the football game and so it would be configured to seat maybe 40 or 50,000. And, uh, you know, if you were in some of those seats uh, kind of, uh, close to the, what would have been the football field, you could have still get a decent view. Well, after this game in Detroit, they changed to where they put the court out at where essentially the coin toss would be for football. And they could then sell the whole arena, put a lot of seats on the floor, and then those uh, – seats that are the hard seats for football would be a lot farther away. Well, this game at Detroit was the, the trial run for doing that. And they had, but the only people down near the court, which was an elevated court, and then they had a bunch of uh, white folding chairs set up all around the court, just perfectly flat. So it kind of looked like the world's largest wedding reception. Um, but, <laughs> The only people down there were Jim Nance and Billy Packer. All the rest of the media people were in the football press box. So I was calling a basketball game with a 94-foot court set up at where 
uh, midfield would be the coin essentially again where the coin toss would be from the football press box and so i tell people uh that that day you'll remember these two players cliff hawkins was six feet six one uh, shigari Aline was on the team shigari was seven three from where mike pratt and i were they looked like the same player <laughs> yeah. and so it's the only, i had two options either call it off the jumbotron which i didn't you know want to trust the technology at that point and or use binoculars which i happen to have my binoculars from football season in my equipment bag so i called the basketball game uh in but through binoculars um that game so that that was uh, uh the first one obviously that comes to mind for me to your question yeah and if this year goes like we think that'll that'll be the new number one leader in the clubhouse i'm sure after <laughs> oh definitely without a doubt Tom, when you, when you think about doing games, when you first did your game, uh, a basketball game in a stadium, like what's the difference between doing a game in an arena compared to doing it in a stadium basketball? You get so much closer. You know, you can, I think, feel the game a little better. Um, the, you know, we would do those games, say, up at uh, the Dome in Indianapolis um, uh, that you would have played in back in the 90s. It's Indiana or mm-hmm. – uh, I guess that would have been been it, but they would, you know, they would uh, put us, um, you know, down there next to the court, and so you know, you you still that that wasn't much difference. But uh, the first Final Four I did down in Houston, we were uh, two rows removed from the court, and when the position Mike and I were was about at one of the baselines, and so when the ball got to the other end of the court, over in the far corner your eye level is about where the court was. And right. plus the three guys doing TV were Jim Nance, who's about six, six, Steve Kerr, six, four, Clark Kellogg, who's I think six, eight. Wow. And so I had to glance down at the monitor when they ran down to that other end of the court, and especially when they swung it to the far, far corner. Uh, so you just, you know, you, you don't feel the game, I think quite as well uh, in most of those situations. Uh, okay. Some of us down at the Georgia Dome, when you guys played down there, it would get loud. You know, they'd have it set up for about forty thousand, and that wasn't wasn't bad. Um, but I, I still like it. it's a little more intimate um, when you're in, you know, a, a, a true basketball arena. Right. I will go back to baseball real quick because I uh, can't have you on and not ask you, Tom, especially being the Reds fan that you are, uh, and being confident with their, you know, chances this season. We're living day to day, minute to minute with this Corona situation. What are you more optimistic about? Football season being played in its completion, whatever they deem that season to be, or the Reds winning the division? What are you more confident in taking place? Boy, um, gosh, I'm, I, I guess I'll I'll say uh, football. Um, it's a hard, it's a tough one, but, uh, you know, I, I think they'll probably maybe scale it back a little bit. So probably won't be 12 games and, you know, somewhere between eight and 10, maybe. And I, um, I, continue, I think if they, if they start it, um, they'll be determined to finish and I'm, you know, I'm trying to hold on to hope that they'll be able to start it. Even it might be a couple of weeks later, but, uh, I, I, Holding on to hope that they'll get started, um, but it's a tough call just because you know 
with with the Reds, I'm I'm hopeful, but I don't think they're in any kind of a you know certainly a lead pipe singe. So they've got a, a better shot than they've had in a while. Uh, but you know, if you had to to say what's more likely, I guess I would lean maybe to the other one. But it's uh, it's a tough call. But the the Reds' playoff chances have to be great. They still don't even know how many playoff teams are going to be. And yeah. they still might expand it to 16. So the, the Reds should definitely at least make the playoffs. So you got that. Do it all. Yeah. They put together a good staff. and uh, But it's I think it's going to be important to get off to a good start with such, you know, with, you know only 60 games. Uh, that uh, if you dig yourself a hole early, you, you may not, like we were talking about earlier with the Nationals, you may not be able to get out of it. So, uh, uh, and I think, you know, one thing that helps them probably is uh, I think, with the way the schedule's set up, I think they their schedules, you know, a little more favorable. The Tigers, for instance, that the team that start with tomorrow are kind of down. Uh, they play Kansas City, which is uh, down a bit. So I think their schedule's uh, somewhat favorable. Yeah, sets up for a, a hot start anyway. Let's hope. <laughs> oh, you mentioned Tony and yourself doing a couple games. about that before you hopped on. What was it like having TD sitting in the practice seat for those two games? He did great. Um, not surprisingly, I mean, he, he knows knows the game and communicates well. You know, Tony had uh, it would be probably would have been a little different for him if he didn't have the experience that he had had. had. You know, he'd done a lot of work on NBA TV and SEC Network, so you know, there was no nervousness or anything. And so, you know, he he had that that issue was not in play and you know he knew the game well and he knew Kentucky well so uh, yeah it, <laughs> it, it, it it was uh you know it was a good fit yeah it was I really I really enjoy like I told Vinny I said when you have when you're playing with a a John Stockton uh a, a Jason Kidd you know these Hall of Fame Hall of Fame point guards to give you great assists I said that's that's what Tom I said Tom tee you up and now just rolling with what you know so it's really I think it's easy when you have a great host, you know, because they, you know, because as well as, you know, I might know the game. I still have to have someone that position me uh, correctly where now I can get in and get out, you know, and not not be not be too long winded uh, because it's a lot different when you're doing, you know, TV and radio. You really get a chance yeah. to elaborate on radio. And uh, when you're trying to do TV, what I had to find out, and it took me a little time to really process is that, you have a short amount of time, especially when you have to share that time with another analyst. And with Tom and I, it was more about just having fun, man, enjoying the game. And, you know, when you when you love your school, I mean, you're going to know everything about them. So that was the easiest thing for me because I had seen so many games. And, you know, I had watched these players throughout the year. So whenever I do a Kentucky game, I'm going to be very familiar with those players. Plus, we had a great uh, – the second game in particular was a great game. Uh, it was like that Auburn game was – point man, went down was, at Auburn, yeah. Yes, it was. And it was it was so funny after the game, uh, I was talking to Charles Barkley. I was like, yeah, y'all came really close to getting a win, getting that victory, you know. But when, when I when I look back at what happened last year, and especially with us losing to Auburn, you know, the first, first call I got was from uh, Marquise Daniels, you know. And then I was like, man, hope I don't run into Charles Barkley anywhere because, you know, of course – we get that victory there. I, I'm telling, like, man, you know, we we own we own the Tigers, and uh, you know, when that when that game, that Elite Eight game, which is, I always tell people, like, that is the toughest game. I know we can talk about the you know, Final Four, semifinal championship, but when you're when you're like one game away, and you already know, let's say, for instance, 
three other teams have already made, have already punched their ticket to the Final Four. And you're that last team. Those two teams definitely know, okay, man, that so to me that adds even more pressure to get to that Final Four when three teams already have already punched their ticket. And then you kind of wait and say, man, like this game, the importance of the game changes. I bet we couldn't have traded the one down there on the plains that you and I did for that one in uh, – <laughs> Holy man, what? I would have, I would have definitely given Charles that. Been like, hey man, hey, congratulations. <laughs> but if we could have got to the one, the Elite Eight, to get us to the Final Four, that that would have been bittersweet. Yeah. Sticking on the Auburn note and the broadcaster note, your your counterpart Rob Bramlett, who was the voice of the Tigers, passed tragically with his wife a couple years ago. Um, he got to call Auburn winning a national championship in football with Cam Newton and that crew got to call Auburn getting to the Final Four on the basketball side, which no doubt was a high for him. For you, you've called a Kentucky National Championship in 2012. Is the Citrus Bowl win on New Year's Day the equivalent of that for you for football, or would you want to still get that SEC championship game or playoff game on under your belt from the football side? You know, under that analogy, probably the equivalent for Kentucky would be getting to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. I think that's, I think, you know, now that I think for Kentucky fans, it probably feels more, the the hope feels more realistic than it ever has since they started that game in 92. And um, with what Mark Stoops has done, and Kentucky's never been there. And um, I think getting there uh, would just be off the charts in terms of, uh, I, I can remember, this is before your all's time, but in, 1976, Kentucky had not been to a bowl game in 25 years. And they were picked for the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. And there were 37,000 Kentucky fans that went from Kentucky down to Atlanta for that game against North Carolina. And um, I was down there probably 20 years later. And uh, we were leaving the hotel. It was Reed, Ralph Hacker, a few other guys. And uh, we were waiting for a taxi. And... Uh, uh, the uh, bell captain said, where are you guys from? Kentucky. Oh, I remember you guys. So, I mean, it was a, a legendary turnout. And I think it would be something like that if Kentucky gets to that SEC championship game in football. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you host the show, in addition to the pregame, postgame coaches shows, you host the Leach Report on WLAP and other affiliates throughout the state. Um, I don't know every broadcaster throughout the SEC. I mean, I know Fisher from Vanderbilt because he's been on your show. I grew up in southeastern Kentucky, so I knew Bob Kessling because we got Knoxville News just as much as, you know, Sam Dick and Barbara Bailey in Lexington. Are you the only guy in the SEC that, that has his own show like that? I mean, is there a Kessling report? Is there a gold report? Are you the only guy that's doing that? I think um, some of the guys work for the school. There's different people in my job, or it's different in a lot of ways. Like Bob, Neil Price, who was here, Neil works for the school. Um, uh, I think I think Neil's actually maybe a little bit of a hybrid, the school and the rights holder. Some people work for the rights holder, like here it's JMI, and so the broadcaster might be a salesman, sell advertising in addition to doing the games. And then the third one is the independent contractor, which is what uh, what I am. Um, and so I'm probably the guy most similar to my situation might be Eli Gold, 
down in Alabama, and he just does football. But Eli does a lot of NASCAR uh, and some uh, other college basketball just for uh, some couple of national networks. So he, I think, is a fully independent contractor, uh, doesn't work, you know, for, for the school through the week or through the for the for the rights holder through the week. So that's probably the closest one to me. But I don't know of anybody else. David Kellum at Ole Miss used to, but I don't think he does anymore. Did his own show. Um, Mike Kelly out of Missouri, I think, may do it. I think Mike may do a show. So when the, when the Leach Report was a twinkle in your eye, was it was it you just said I'm I'm just gonna get me a show? Or did somebody say you ought to have a show? How did how did it come to be? Well, it uh, came to be a guy named Bill Gentry, um, who uh, was in charge of the Kentucky markets for what was then Clear Channel, now iHeart. Um, he um, was going to start the KSR show um, on uh, a station in Louisville. And he, they had taken one of their stations and made it essentially a L station and all L programming all throughout the day. And he had an idea to take one of their other stations that just was running you know, national talk shows and put some UK programming on it. And so they put KSR on there. And then he came to me and he said, would you like to, to buy an hour of time and do a show uh, as the lead in to this other one we're doing? And so I took the opportunity to do that. And that's kind of, it started 10 years ago, uh, my show and, and Matt's on the same day on one little station in Louisville. So um, that's kind of how it, how it started. And so then built it up into a, a network now. So that's just one of, my independent projects that kind of helps pay the bills along with doing games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, do you, uh, did you ever get a chance really, um, to hear Kaywood Lefford, uh, mm-hmm. how he called games? I think he was such a legend and I think I missed him. Uh, cause I want to say he might've retired in 92, 93, somewhere yeah, like he, around. He retired your last year of high school. Sure did. Okay. So that's what I was thinking, but just as, as me being a, a former, well, actually, just being a high school player, you know, everyone was talking about you have to hear K. Will Leverett. He's the voice of uh, Kentucky basketball. And when you when people start calling you the voice, do you ever look back and say, man, you know, they're comparing me to the great K. Will Leverett? Yeah, and, and for me, there's, I mean, I grew up idolizing K. Will. I mean, I grew up listening to the Wildcats and the Reds. So I was listening to K. Will do Kentucky games with Ralph, and I was listening to the Reds who had – First, Al Michaels doing the games, and then Marty Brenneman. So I've always said I had great training just listening to to those broadcasters. And so I grew up as far back as I can remember listening to Kaywood. So uh, there's, there's nobody that ever, for me, compares to him. And, you know, a lot of things I do, I think, in terms of uh, how would Kaywood have handled this or what would Kaywood do in this situation? Um, and fortunately, I got to – to work around him and and be on the UK network for a few years before he retired. And so got to know him and he critiqued some tapes for me. And so he was just wonderful in in that regard. Um, Stylistically, I tend to get, I think more excited. It's just, I think when you do this, you've got to be yourself and not try to force anything. And for me, getting a little more excited, I think is what comes naturally. And as I've listened to tapes uh, back to Claude Sullivan, who was a peer of, of K Woods. In fact, they were both considered so good that the university didn't want to pick one of them to be the, the single voice. And so they, uh, they didn't ever make a choice. And Claude sadly 
passed in his 40s, and so then they uh, went with Kaywood, but they were both so good they couldn't decide between the two. And so I think stylistically, some of the the, the way I do a, some things, the excitement maybe is maybe a little more. You'd hear a little more of that in Claude than you did in Kaywood, but you know phrases that Kaywood used, and you know um, ways that he you know uh, set up the set things up. Um, I've, you know, listened to him so many times that I'm sure some of it just kind of came into to my work subconsciously. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Tom. Give me your top five play-by-play guys. Don't have to be in order, but just give me your top five. Well, Kaywood's always got to be at the top for me. Okay. That's number uh, one. You know, um, you know, Al Michaels and, and Marty Brenneman, just because I grew up listening to those guys so much. Um, a guy named Ernie Harwell, who did the Tigers and did a lot of national radio and growing up as a, as a baseball fan, I listened. He did a lot of the national games when they got to the World Series. You would hear him a lot. Um, and to do this off the top of my head, so I hadn't thought about it coming in. So um, Ernie Harwell, maybe. Dick Enber. Um, you know, he, uh, he he was more television than radio, but did some radio. Um, and, uh, you know, um, was a... Uh, a guy that, uh, uh, you know, I admired what he did a lot. And then the other one would certainly be, and he wasn't a radio guy, he was a TV guy, and I didn't, you know, ever go down that path. But Tom Hammond from here, Tom's been a great friend and mentor. And I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't following his path of doing television, but, uh, you know, Tom, Tom was an old radio guy before he got into TV, but, you know, he would definitely be on that list too. Okay. And I'm sure I'm missing some others, but those are the first ones that popped to mind. I got to flash back a little bit to to a young Tom Leach. I look, I listen to you every day, usually on our hard at work. Uh, you talk about for your your Mingy beef jerky that you grew up on a family farm. We know you're from Paris, there in Bourbon County. On that family farm, were there were there chores that a young Tom Leach had to do either in the morning or in the afternoon that was expected him to be to complete? You know, you know, no, no particular daily chore, like if you were a kid growing up on a dairy farm where you might have to milk the cows or something. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, in the summers, what kind of paid my way through college was uh, we raised a big garden and then sold vegetables at the farmer's market. And so it was picking uh, sweet corn and a bunch of other stuff on a Friday night and early Saturday morning and then go with my mom to the market. Uh, worked in tobacco, um, worked in hay, um, you know, that's about as, as, uh, on a 95 degree August day being in a hayfield's not, uh, not the most fun place in the world to be. I, what I've always said, I was, there were some of my friends who grew up on farms that, uh, will, uh, laugh and say, ah, you, you didn't do nearly as much as I did, which is true. Yeah. So I always say there were friends of mine that did more farm work than I did, but I did enough of it to know that when I say I'm going to work now, it's a much different definition than that work mm-hmm. of housing tobacco and uh, baling hay and chopping weeds and those kinds of things. Yeah, so you got a decent dose of it back in the day, sounds like. <laughs> um, you know, we see you on Facebook with, you know, Coach Stoops, the coaches shows, and you are a lefty as far as writing. Are you a lefty and, you know, golfing, shooting the basketball, kicking a ball? Are you lefty through and through? No, somewhat ambidextrous. I um, played baseball left-handed, baseball and softball. 
basketball, I, I can shoot it both ways, but better and, and more comfortably right-handed. So I play basketball primarily right-handed. Uh, golf, I play right-handed. Um, football, I would throw the ball primarily right-handed. I can throw it farther left-handed, but more accurately right-handed. Um, so both, but more. Um, yeah, it's about you know, from sport to sport, probably about a fairly even split. You play any golf, TV? You big golf guy, TD? You know what? I'm I'm more of a uh, celebrity golf guy, so I just show up and and look for the gift bags, you know. So it's it's not really my game, but I will tell you this: the ones, the tournaments I've gone to, the events. I mean, I really have enjoyed them. You know, I think golf is a fun game. You always, you know, of course, you want to you know have your best outing, but it's it's really going out having fun. I mean, it, it's a game that. If you're not consistently playing, you're not going to be great at it. You might have two or three really good holes, and it might make you think about going out, you know, and investing into golf, and then you have three or four bad ones, you know. So it's it's, it's a humbling game to people who don't practice and do it a lot, you know. So I have to have – I have so much respect for professional golfers, you know, and, and how well they play and being able to shoot, you know, par. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll see a 67. I'm just like, man, that's amazing. When, when I'm – when I'm up around 120s, I'm like, man, they're like 60 strokes better than me, 50 strokes better than me. So it's, it's one of the most humbling, I think, games I've ever played, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, it really takes a lot of practice. Like I, as I have built my academy and I was just having a conversation with my seventh and eighth grade kids, you know, about just being fundamentally sound, but just letting them know you have to do this every day. I said, you can't just come in and be a part-time player. I said, you get part-time results. I said, the same as being a part-time worker when you want full-time benefits. I said, it just doesn't work that way. And I say, basketball is kind of like the same as your parents. I say, it's just, I said, the time you put into it, there is a reward behind it. But if you don't put the time in, you can't expect to be good at this game. That's for sure. yeah, absolutely. You know, golf is just so much about those repetitions and kind of, in the same swing down. I, I played six or eight times a year with golf. I played, didn't play much growing up because you know, it was well, the only course in town was, the, was at the country club and I wasn't a country club kid. And so I didn't play hardly at all until I got into college. Um, and uh, there's a little par three course over on Mason Heatley Road, not far from UK campus where I would go play, uh, you know, uh, golf there a little bit. And that's kind of where I learned, but uh, I wish I had learned. It's a fun game, but it is, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a lot like really any other sport, though. It's just, you know, with a shooter or with, uh, you know, running an offense in football, it's just the repetition where you get over and over again. There was a good line, actually, that Hal Mummy had about that uh, when he was coaching here. And he said, he called it the, what was it, the monotony of greatness. Tony will appreciate this. Uh, it's the, the idea of to get, you know, really good at something, to be great at something, is just having to do it over and over again. And he would say, uh, the example he used, he goes, imagine how many times the Eagles have to play Hotel California so that it sounds perfect the one time you go to the concert. <laughs> I love that. I love that analogy. And, you know, and to your point, you're right. It's, it's, it's like being a, a really good shooter. It's the same thing. It's, it's repetition. And I think I did it so much that, you know, it was a, it has to be a routine. Like you have to enjoy doing it to the point where you see in times that, you know, I'm going to be successful at this because I'm doing it so much and I'm, I do it every day. And that's what I try to 
to tell them about, you know, ball handling, shooting, passing. I say, I did it so much that it, it was it was like waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth. I said, that's how you have to, you have to think about shooting. It has to feel the same way. And I don't think this generation understands it. And, you know, Vinny, I know you have some, some young kids, but they don't understand repetition, but also they are – they are more tech kids. I was more of an outdoor kid. So they have a lot more distractions and things going on than we did. You know, we, you know, basically my parents were like, if you come to, once you leave the house, you come back to the house, you stay in the house. So I never really want to ever be in the house, you know, or don't let the air go out. You know, you got to drink from uh, the hose outside. So we were outdoor kids and now we have a bunch of tech kids and indoor kids. So for me, especially coaching, I had to adapt differently to the generation of kids to be able to tell them, okay, they're about watching highlights and I watch games. You know, the VH VHS tapes, I watched those tapes over and over. They took forever to watch those tapes. I'm just rewinding and stopping and rewinding, stopping, playing. And they got, with, with the digital side of things, it became easier. So now they can watch something in like 15, 20 seconds or let's say a minute or two and they're done. Absolutely. Tony, you made you said something about adapting to the kids. I think there's a good uh, line in there because I think there was probably a time in sports where the kids were expected to adapt to the coach. And I think now it's the other <laughs> way. If you're going to be successful, you got to be able to find a way to connect with the kids. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I've done a, a really good job of is that having – you know, six AAU teams. So it's like having kids. You have different personalities with your kids. And what I've learned to do is, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more patient now than I was probably three or four years ago when I when I thought about starting this academy and I was still training and working with kids is that you're right. You really have to learn them. And to, to get the trust from them, I have to do things tech-wise or I have to be more uh, savvy with technology in order to be on their – on their level to have a conversation with them because to them, you're outdated. You know, when you talk about, you know, we were like Michael Jordan fans and, you know, we grew up watching Michael Jordan and they're LeBron. So there's no disrespect to the greatness of LeBron, but we saw and witnessed the greatness of Michael Jordan. So it's two different times. When you think about greatness and one being a goat or both being goats, but it's goat in different eras. And yeah. same thing, I watched, you know, like a, a, how great a Larry Bird was. You know, he sometimes don't get enough credit for, for his greatness. But I said sometimes he gets lost because, you know, he did it. And 20 years ago, and, you know, the only person that really comes up is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I said, man, there were so many great players in. And back to this generation, this generation is so familiar with, with, with superstars. They don't know about the other guys that play the game. And I say – you really have to learn the history of it. It's kind of like with you being a, you know, play by play, you know, you know, guys 30, 40 years before, you know, older than you. And, um, you know, you can recognize their greatness and what they did to kind of pave the way for you. Absolutely. Before we came on, uh, I guess the news came out. saw it on 24 seven, the Courier Journal. It's going to be a polarizing topic throughout the, the state. The, uh, Letter sent to Dr. Capilouto about renaming Rupp Arena. I'm sure it'll come up on your show too, Tom, but y'all's thoughts on that news coming down today. I'm not surprised that it's a topic that has come up. Um, and I think in the, hopefully what we kind of learn through um, 
that particular part of what this year has been is that is you everybody wants to be heard so um you you just you can uh have discussions about things it may lead to change it may not but the you know uh people if uh, if people it's it's going to be obviously polarizing and you hate that um but uh i'm not surprised that it's a topic that has come up and um you know there's like with everything when it, you, you need you need to have good discussion because not the there's a, always a lot more on both sides to than what just the superficial you know part of the story of, of history is and so there's a lot to to get into yeah yeah i i think like you said it, it's so much tradition and history behind the name the building is you know i think it really has to involve all the players player former players um, you know, guys like Tom, coaches, uh, you know, donors, fans, everybody needs to be involved with this. You know, I, I don't think it needs to be a, a one-person decision or a few people decision. I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of players that have paved the way for us. You know, like I would go back to Jack Gibbons and those guys, Kenny Skywalker, and kind of get their opinion about it. I mean, how they feel about it. You know, those guys who I still look up to this day, you know, just, you know, what they had to endure as uh, – as minorities back then, you know, you take, you go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, and just the, the stories I've heard, I'm like, man, I mean, it, it was tough being a, a, uh, a minority, a black athlete back, you know, so many years ago. And for those guys to have fallen in love with, uh, with the program, so many people has to be, have to be involved with, with the decision. And you're right about, you know, there's so many other, you know, uh, changes in college sports and high school sports. And, you know, I think one that they're talking about now is the Washington Redskins, you know, that, that offends a lot of native Americans and, uh, you know, there's a lot of money involved with it, but it's a different time right now. Like, you know, like it's, it's a time as, as Tom is talking about, it's time to be heard and, uh, it's a time to make some changes. And to that point, and it is going to be polarizing, like Tom said, uh, and like you referencing, you know, Goose and, and, and Kenny and, uh, all the players that paid away for you. Um, like you said, both sides are going to have a lot to say. Like you said, talking about being heard. But and at the same time, look, Tom Payne was on campus two years after Nate Northington integrated the SEC at UK. So that, you know, that did happen. Let's, we, we can't act like that did not happen when some of these claims are made. So uh, it is a lot of people wanting to say a lot of things. It is going to be polarizing. Uh, it's, this will take the place of the Winyan Gabriel stuff. This will be the new topic now. And, you know, Winyan is old news, and now this renaming of Rupp will be the next new thing until we actually get some sports to talk about. This will be what people are chewing on for the next couple of days. Tom, are yeah. you? I'll oh, go ahead, T. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You know, like I say, it's going to be a topic of discussion, and, and you know, it's going to go on for some time. And, you know, we got to figure out what's right for all parties involved. And, you know, we just – I think as as former players, you know, we look back at, you know, how, how tough it was for us just to, to be able to get a scholarship, you know, and be able to play in front of – like I would tell you, like, man, by far the best fans I've ever played in front of. So I, I haven't, as a player there, you know, experienced the racism that maybe some people – some players have going back 30, 40 years. So it's, it's a little bit different from – for me than it probably would be for players that played in the in the 70s and maybe even in the 80s you know so it was 
it was different. And it's different when you travel throughout the state, how we're treated, you know, because we are our Kentucky basketball players. And some of that is, you know, and some of that will change. But I think when you, when you meet us, you know, you see differently, you know, you don't just see like, you know, uh, what people might've said about us, you know, minorities in all cultures. I think there are good people and bad people in all cultures. And I think that's what we have to understand. But to judge someone based on the color of skin, you know, that that's the change that we're promoting. And that's the change that we're going to see. Yeah. Tom, when you go across the state or if you go to the grocery store there in Lexington, do you are you do you still get people to say I, I recognize your voice? Where do I recognize your voice from? Are you been around long enough that that doesn't happen anymore? Yeah, you hear it once in a while um, because with radio, it's the it's the, the voice that people hear. They don't see the, the picture, don't see the things. So um, it's it's always nice nice to hear. It's uh, yeah, uh, and uh, at least at least uh, to my face, they're complimentary. So. <laughs> <laughs> Because I thought about, you know, the casual fan, believe it or not, not everybody in the state is, is rabid about the cats and just follows everything. So I just wondered if, if that still even happened. You're out to eat or you go to Home Depot and like, I've heard that voice. What our place? I had to ask you that. I'm from Southeastern Kentucky. So you are uh, as much into horses and horse racing as you are basketball. Uh, my grandfather asked me one time, I was about 14 or 15, what do you like more, football or basketball? And I I couldn't answer. Growing up, were you as equally passionate about racing and hoops, or did you you have a preference? Yeah, it's always more more so. I mean, I love thoroughbred racing, but it's it's you know Kentucky football and basketball were the main things that that I follow. I get the question a lot. You do you, what's your favorite sport? And I really I, I don't. I, the the only thing I can tell people is I always say I I look forward to football season with a probably a greater sense of anticipation only because I love doing games. That's why I got into this. And so when basketball season starts, I've already been doing football games. When football season starts, I haven't done a game since April. Yeah. Uh, and so there's just by, by the time the first weekend in September rolls around, I'm just chomping at the bit to do games again. So um, that's, that's otherwise it's, you know, I, I love uh, football, but there's, you know, love going into you know, rub for a basketball game or a postseason game when there's all that energy in the building. So it's, yeah, I really don't don't have a, a preference one way or the other. Uh, I uh, and even when things aren't going well, it's been you know some down football seasons a few years back. Um, you only get to do what I, I only get to do what I like best about 50 times a year. So I'm uh, always you know up for the games because I don't get to do that many of them. Appreciate it more than ever when they start back up now. I guess. For sure. I always have to ask you one basic horse racing question because you know it so well. If you come on our other little show that I host with Terry Brown and I ask you what an ABW was, and you're like, man, that's advanced daily wagering. And I, I'm like, I, I had no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> your trip note pros promo that you talk about uh, on your show, the commercial runs during the leech report, they talk about, you know, their time in the horses, they talk about horse comfort. I get that. Maybe the horse might not feel like running that day or, you know, anything like that. They also talk about jockey intent. Isn't every jockey's intention to win? So what, what is jockey intent? They're looking at things like um, what was, was the, uh, the, there's an opening on the inside. Uh, you know, did the jockey recognize it? 
um, and uh, or did he put the horse into a bad spot where he didn't have a chance? They ran him into a you know a congested spot where the horse couldn't get out of in time to to show his best. Um, or the jockey's intention was to take the horse to the lead, and um, then maybe um, he got he was drawn outside and ended up getting five or six horses fanned out wide because of that intention to go to the lead. And so if they change their tactics next time, maybe it'll be better. So they're looking for, those guys are looking for something in the running of the race of the trip that um, caused the horse to, they're looking for horses that are capable of running better than it looks like for whatever the circumstances were. And it might be the jockey's intention to take him to the lead and it turned out to be the wrong decision. Mm, that is, see that? That made a lot of sense right there. <laughs> One last thing, too. Um, what we're going to talk about. Oh, your show today, you know, uh, your last guest, Coach Brad White, defensive coordinator for Kentucky. Just some of the nuggets that he said, you know, stood out. The fact that, you know, every, we all want to think that Josh Allen and, and Boogie Watson are similar. He talked about Boogie having more wiggle as a pass rusher. He broke it down that minute. Uh, Josh was more long first step. Boogie had more wiggle. And to me, the fact that he said, I'm, I will stick with calling a, a call that they're more comfortable with instead of me trying to guru something, this guy coming from the NFL, bringing all this knowledge and still will hold himself back instead of just saying, I'm so smart, run this play that I've dialed up. I thought those were two really cool little nuggets that he brought out when you were talking to him today. Yeah, and another one I thought was noteworthy. He talked about um, the, the. He said this was a player-led team now, and um, that uh, they hold them each other accountable, which is important in this time because you know when they if they get back to playing games, it's going to be important that guys don't put themselves into situations where they could maybe uh, you know go to a party or a big gathering or you know they're going to. Uh, hold each other accountable to a certain extent on something like that. So it was good to hear what he said there. Um, and I remember there was uh, the Kentucky team, football teams in the late 70s that were outstanding with Derek Ramsey and, and all those guys. Uh, they had a defensive back named Dallas Owens, who's a good friend of mine who we lost much too soon. And Dallas told me a story one time where with those teams, he said, we knew that we had kind of broken through a barrier when we were accountable to each other. And so the coach didn't have to get on me about missing an assignment or something. Uh, my teammate would, that we would hold each other accountable before the coach would even have to do it. And uh, when I was listening to Coach White talk about some of that stuff, I, I flashed back to that, you know, what Dallas said about those great teams that, that he had. Maybe the same way with like that, you know, 96 group that you guys had, Tony, in basketball, that, uh, you know, you probably could have run the practices by yourself without the coach. Yeah, we could have. I think, you know, especially with myself, Walter, you know, just having been there for four years, you know, you know your personnel. Um, when I think about, you know, how much money is involved with all of these sports, you know, baseball, getting ready to start tonight, basketball, you know, next week, is do you think there's going to be a college football season this year? And if so, you know, how are these games going to take place? Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 Remaining hopeful that there's going to be a season. I know that I believe that they are, um, everybody wants it to happen. So it's got to, I'm, I'm hopeful that with, you know, I think people are probably uh, 
despite some of the things you see that go viral, I think there are more people that are uh, on on board with wearing the masks and trying to do the things that'll keep themselves and their fellow uh, man and woman healthier. That uh, that the thing about it, all the with this virus, everything that happens there's a lag time of two or three weeks. So I'm hoping here in a couple of weeks some of the benefits of, of that behavioral change maybe will come into play and it'll look a little more optimistic like it did back in early June, say, for, for playing these games. Um, and then, um, you know, then just keep our fingers crossed that they can, you know, things go well enough they can finish because I think that's a challenge once you get students on campus and, you know, just regular college life. Um, you know, you look at them when they're just there by themselves working out uh, holding each other accountable, like we were talking about, I think it's probably easier to 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 keep everybody um, hopefully virus free. I think it's probably more of a challenge once you get more people. The more people you get involved, the more challenging that is. Absolutely. Um, and we talked about that bubble last week, TD, and and how you would approach it if you were a young player in the NBA, as opposed to if you you know had been a veteran and uh, been a little more cautious, you know, late twenties, early. Tom, man, last thing, what was your first impression, uh, your first memory, first recollection, first time you saw young Tony Depp? Was it a summer pickup at UK campus? Was it a shoot around? Was it a practice? The first time you laid eyes on this young fella from Brownsville, Tennessee? Probably would have been, uh, you know, there's some of the, either a practice. I didn't, I don't think I, I don't think I went to Big Blue Madness, but I would have watched, it would have seen the highlights. So as far as in person, it would have been a, you know, a practice at uh, 93 season uh, when he came in as a freshman. Um, you know, they had MASH and, uh, uh, I, you know, I, uh, it was such a fun team to watch because, you know, coming off the year before, first year back in the tournament, they had that great run to the Elite Eight. And then that kind of got stoked everybody's fire with that class that was coming in that they get back to the final four which which they did and uh, it seems like i remember tony can speak to this they were kind of trying to maybe get force you into a a spot that wasn't the best for you and then they kind of <laughs> maybe found the best way to uh let you use your talents instead of you know maybe a, i, I want to say it was maybe trying to be the point guard and just you know set up other people and it's like you know you needed to be a guy that uh, could get the ball you know Set yeah, up shots, I, catch them, yeah. make them. Yeah, that that was that was my job, and I think um, you know, coach tried it early, and he thought about it later during the '96 year. And it's so funny that you know they was like, "Oh, it was, it was a great coach's move to move him back to uh, shooting guard." I said, "Listen, we lost to a really good UMass team. We didn't just lose to a to uh, to Moorhead State, and no disrespect to Moorhead, but we played the UMass team that." kind of similar to us in 95, they returned all their players. And you got to look at, you know, Marcus Canby. I, I'm still upset that he was, you know, college player of the year. I thought I should have probably won that award. Um, but I, I still think going back, you know, losing that game and everyone saying, like, gosh, it was the best move we could have made, you know, putting Tony back at the shooting guard and allowing Anthony to be the starting point guard. But – uh, that was a really good team. You know, a team that we saw later in, in the semifinal that probably could have been uh, and should have been the national championship game, to be honest with you, because they – people forget that year that we won the national championship that we were number two all year. They were number one all year. So after we lost number one, they went to number two, and we won 27 games in a row, and we still were number two. So that means 
they didn't lose any more games until probably their conference final, similar to like uh, similar to us. And we faced each other in the, in the semifinals. So it was two really good teams, two well-coached teams, uh, had superb players. But as you talked about, you know, when you have returning players, we can hold each other accountable because we respect each other and we know each other. Think about Tony, I remember, you know, the first thing you noticed is, and probably this more so now, you don't, you, you see a, a height that listed. What would they list you at? Six feet, Tony? Six one. Six one. Yeah. And so you see Tony Delk, six one. Then you see Tony Delk, and he's like, you know, you, you, you watch him play and you think more like he's six six. It's, uh, you, you played, uh, and, and now that's uh, a commonplace where, you know, guys are, don't really, aren't directed into maybe a, a certain mold just on what's listed on the, the height and weight or something in football and basketball. So, um, yeah, he was one of those guys that, that, that was just the, when you said first memory, just that, um, you know, he was the a guy that uh, you knew there was more there than just, you know, this guy's six one, but he, He's not a you know six one guard. He plays much bigger than that. Absolutely, and Tom, we have had an absolute ball. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on. Know you yes, got to get a, a video shoot to get to. You know, dressed all dapper. You can get that done. Get back to the house and get comfortable to watch some some baseball tonight. So uh, Man, looking we forward to time. <laughs> we appreciate your time. Hopefully, those Reds get that uh, get the first victory for you tonight, and so many other Reds. Actually, they don't open until tomorrow night. So okay, tomorrow night. Let's hope they get Yankees that win tomorrow night. But anybody, I'd watch anybody that was playing right now. So <laughs> If they're breathing and playing a game, we're going to tune in. <laughs> I drove by a little league field the other day and almost stopped and watched. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But Tom, thank you so much. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. on the Believing in Tech podcast. Everywhere you get your podcast, catch this latest episode with great Tom Leach, Tony Delk, and myself. We'll see you next time on the Believing Kentucky Podcast. Take care, BBN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.